0: triathlon show 193 hey what's up everybody and welcome back to another episode of that triathlon show the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com I'm your host Michael, and on today's episode, I review a review on supplements in sport. And of course, our focus here in particular will be endurance sports. This particular review paper is uh, the International Olympic Committee consensus statement. It's called Dietary Supplements and the High Performance Athlete. And this was published in the British Journal of Sports Medicine, so a very high impact journal. And has a couple dozen contributors which are all uh, the best of the best in the field in uh, sports nutrition really. So it's a big thing to have uh, been released. It was released earlier this year in 2019 and I've had it on my list of research papers that I want to read for a few months now but didn't get around to it until very recently. So now that I did, eventually, I want to talk about what the paper found and what the evidence base is for various supplements that are used for athletes and endurance athletes in particular. So this episode actually is also partially an answer to quite a few questions I've been getting for Q&A episodes regarding things like uh, caffeine, nitrate, magnesium, antioxidants, etc. Because I do get quite a few of those. So you could consider this the master answer to all those questions because if uh, uh, a supplement hasn't been positively supported by this paper then it probably doesn't have enough evidence behind it to uh, back it up as something that uh, that really should could be recommended at this point in time that doesn't mean that it's not working it just means that there's no evidence at this point in time to support the use of it and we just might need to wait for more studies for that to be the case but before we dive into the topic big thanks to our sponsors first we have Precision Hydration And uh, you are probably well aware that the way that we humans regulate our body core temperature is by sweating. So sweating is a very, very positive thing when it comes to making sure that we don't overheat. And in endurance sports in particular, this is a genuine risk because we are going at a fairly high intensity for a fairly long time. So uh, we need some sort of regulation strategy. And we humans are quite unique in that we have this sort of regulation, because most animals actually regulate core temperature by panting rather than sweating. Very few mammals have any sort of sweating mechanism, and those that do have sweating that is significantly less extensive than, than us humans. But what we need to do to counteract the the negative effects of sweating, which is fluid loss and uh, and electrolyte loss is to make sure that we adequately replace those of course that's going to depend on how much electrolyte for example your sweat contains and how much you sweat uh, personally also what conditions are you raising or training in is it very hot and humid or is it cool and dry that's going to make a massive difference so uh, precision hydration in order to make it easier for you to come up with an, a hydration strategy they have created a free online sweat test that is based on actual real-world measurements. And this quiz that they have created has been validated against real-world measurements. So it's actually, there's real science behind this. And uh, this quiz, by answering a few simple questions, 10 I believe, you will get uh, a very good ballpark estimate for how much you sweat and how much sodium you lose in your sweat and that will give you then a hydration strategy that you can use in your next race or in training for that matter. So check them out on precisionhydration.com. And remember that until the end of August, you can order in bulk and get 20% off your entire order with the promo code that 20 show to zero. And big thanks to Roca. You probably know Roka best for their wetsuits and other triathlon and uh, endurance sports apparel like tri-suits etc but they are moving very very heavily in the eyewear direction as well and are really really strong there with some unique technologies and uh, patents and they have a wide range of products including sunglasses both prescription and non-prescription they have normal prescription glasses they have blue light blocking glasses and their technologies and uh, and consumption or consumer options include home try on options custom designs uh, geeko anti slip technologies and uh, top notch optical qualities so check them out if you haven't done so already on that's roka.com that's r o k a.com and you can get 20% off your entire order with the promo code TTS all caps Now let's get into the main topic for today, supplements for endurance athletes. So to give you a bit of a background on this paper, this came about by uh, the initiative of uh, the International Olympic Committee and specifically their Medical and Scientific Commission. They uh, got uh, together a panel of experts and uh, these experts discussed the place of dietary supplements in as part of nutrition and training strategy of high performance athletes and this then resulted in a consensus statement that was also submitted to the British Journal of Sports Medicine a very high impact journal so very very good and was accepted and published there so uh, this uh, paper is uh, really the latest and greatest we have the state of the art in what supplements are worth taking and what we don't really know or are not worth taking. So uh, to give you a background on what the I'm just basically going to go through the entire paper I have summarized the paper from top to bottom essentially and making it significantly shorter than uh, than it than it is when you read it uh, top to bottom but just uh, bringing you the most important things here but still giving sort of the explanations behind why certain things are recommended and certain things are not and and also some general recommendations and just general information about supplements So first the paper covers what the objectives of dietary supplements are and uh, they list four of them including the management of micronutrient deficiencies and second the supply of convenient forms of macronutrients and energy or calories and three the provision of direct benefits to performance and four uh, indirect benefits such as uh, being able to facilitate more intense training regimens or better recovery better body composition or reduced risk for injury and illness they then go on to talk about how athletes are currently using supplements and uh, the I guess the habits and demographics of of athletes that use supplements and uh, three interesting things that stood out there is that uh, Supplement use increases with uh, the level of uh, performance. So more advanced athletes seem to be using supplements more than less advanced athletes. Which makes sense in a way because they are seeking for marginal gains. Second, supplement use increases with age. And this too makes sense in that uh, with age, there certain things may not work as ideally as they did at a younger age. So, so it may make sense that you may have some, some micronutrient deficiency, for example, and perhaps you just cannot absorb that micronutrient from normal food and, and the supplement is therefore something that, that might make sense. So uh, it's not uh, unexpected that either. And uh, finally, they found that uh, supplement use is higher in men than in women. And I don't know if there is any particular reason for that. My gut feeling is that perhaps men are more obsessed with those marginal gains than women. And that's simply the reason for it. So then the review talks about uh, some uh, general things to, that this review has had to consider. Uh, some, uh, some constraints or limitations on the review. And uh, they say that for the purposes of this overview, we rely primarily on studies of healthy adults that are relevant to athletes. We recognize that data from studies of elite athletes are almost entirely absent. We also recognize that mechanistic studies on animal and cell culture models are useful in identifying mechanisms, but a mechanism is not necessary to demonstrate an effect that may be meaningful to an athlete. In other words, they have uh, included studies that are made in untrained or healthy adults but untrained adults, so not all athletes. And this makes sense especially for those uh, supplements that are uh, w- whose objective is simply to replace uh, deficiency in micronutrients, for example. But also they say that they have not been including animal model studies or animal studies in general, which makes sense again, because we really don't know if that is going to translate to human studies. So whenever you see animal models being used as uh, as a reason for why you should try something, whether it's a supplement or a training regimen or whatever, be very careful. And uh, I would say, look the other way until you can see some actual evidence in humans for that to be working. The second thing that they write is that it must also be recognized that an individual's habitual diet can affect gene expression and their microbiome, and uh, these in turn can affect the response to supplementation. While the variation in the genome between individuals is less than 0.01%, the variation in the microbiome is significant between 80 and 90%. And emerging data suggest that both these factors could affect athletic performance. So this is quite an interesting passage, and uh, but it basically talks about some limitations and why it might be difficult to get significant results in some studies. So uh, I guess that's something that they would like to see controlled in future studies, for example. Now the first category so I mentioned the four categories or four objectives of supplements and then what this review paper does is to just go through these categories one by one and we will do the same here. So the first category is uh, supplement supplements used to prevent or treat nutrient deficiencies and these supplements are commonly used when so when there is a deficiency in uh, in a given uh, nutrient or micronutrient in particular uh, it can lead to measurable impairment of in your performance either directly or indirectly by for example reducing your ability to train well or to stay free from illness or injury so for example an example of the former would be iron deficiency and an example of the uh, of the latter would be uh, vitamin d because if you are deficient in vitamin d you might get ill more easily vitamin d also has uh, some uh, association with bone health so that could also be a risk of injury if you are deficient in that The authors go on to talk about that uh, for supplements to be a viable strategy here, for these supplements to be used, uh, it is important that uh, the athlete actually has a diagnosed uh, suboptimal nutritional status with regard to these supplements or these nutrients, I should say. And uh, then if that is the case, then supplements may be part in uh, the overall treatment plan and can be a contributing factor. But the complete assessment of the athlete should include a detailed medical and nutritional history, an evaluation of current diet, of anthropometrical measures, and body composition, as well as biochemical testing. So, uh, so they, they want you to really go to, to great lengths to ensure that actually a supplement is the right, uh, right way for you before, you before you go down that, uh, that road. They do then go on to say that nutrients that often need to be supplemented uh, under these circumstances include iron, calcium, and vitamin D, and uh, that's the paper that I linked to, it's open access, it has uh, these uh, supplements in table one, so that's where they are summarized. They also write that, uh, that iodine, for those living in, in areas with low levels of iodine in foods or not using iodized salt, folate... For women who might become pregnant and vitamin b12 for those being following a vegan or near vegan diet uh, are also other potentially common or warranted supplements in certain demographics but iron vitamin d and calcium are the main ones that are listed in the table and that are sort of uh, really that have a strong evidence base behind them i guess Uh, so let's uh, have a look i'm going to go over to the the paper here from my notes and first we have uh, vitamin d and uh, and vitamin d uh, def- deficiency affects many many body systems and many athletes and people in general are at risk of this deficiency at various times throughout the year because most are vitamin d Comes from skin exposure to sunlight, and well, where I come from in particular in Finland, that is a, a very dark place for for long periods of the year. So uh, we are advised uh, as Finnish citizens or residents, when I was that, to supplement with vitamin D essentially year round, but at least through the the winter uh, winter months. So that's something that I grew up with and I've never had uh, like my vitamin D measured specifically while I've actually had that. I take it back. I've had it measured at some point but i started supplementing with it way before i started to measure it through regular blood tests along with some other things that i that i get blood panels on either way vitamin d is something that uh, that in finland is recommended to take whether you have a deficiency or not because chances are that almost any everybody that does not supplement will have a deficiency otherwise that's what I've learned, and that's not something that you'll read about in this paper. In this paper, you will actually need to get it diagnosed first and uh, and assessed, and go through your your detailed medical and nutritional history. I would say my personal recommendation here is that uh, that vitamin D is something that if you're living in a uh, in a climate where during parts of the year at least you don't get that much exposure to direct sunlight, then it makes sense to supplement with vitamin D because deficiencies are proven to have uh, many potential health risks like it's just getting ill a bit more easily or getting tired it's not necessarily anything super serious but uh, but vitamin d deficiencies can be treated very easily with supplementations so this is one of the supplements that i do take and i still take it living in portugal just because i'm not necessarily getting the exposure that i need anyway uh, through the sunlight depending on what the weather is in winter how much sun I'm exposed to, if I'm out cycling, I may have uh, arm warmers and uh, not much skin is actually exposed to sunlight. In the summer, I may have sunscreen on that can uh, can affect the exposure or the absorption of vitamin D. So there are a lot of factors at play here, which uh, makes me personally take vitamin D. But if you go entirely by this uh, research paper, then you should check first whether you actually have a deficiency or not. And that's definitely not a bad thing to do, by the way. Uh, I do think that that's a good thing, good, good thing to do. But personally, uh, I I do take it and have taken it even before I started to to measure it in the blood panels. The next one is iron, and uh, this is a well known one. Uh, suboptimal iron status uh, may result from just limited iron intake in the diet. Uh, so for it, it's more common in vegetarians and vegans for example uh, but it could also have other uh, other reasons like poor absorption of iron, iron food diet uh, or inadequate energy intake in general as well as uh, increased needs in certain periods of uh, of your life or or just on a regular basis so like the menstrual uh, blood loss causes iron loss and also when you are training if you are training at altitude that increases the demands for iron Uh, in rapid growth spurts that can also increase your need for iron and potentially even things like doing a lot of running because of foot strike uh, hemolysis so uh, so there are a lot of things that could affect iron this is definitely one of those supplements that you want to make sure that you actually have a diagnosed uh, deficiency before you start supplementing with it because otherwise it can be toxic in uh, in certain doses so it's definitely not something that you should uh, you should just go and, and supplement with like that but but it has been proven if you have an iron deficiency and you get iron supplementation, it just works. It's, uh, things start to become better. You lose that fatigue, that anemia, and uh, your blood can carry more oxygen, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So iron is one that there is a strong evidence base for. And finally, calcium. So especially for athletes that maybe limit their dairy intake, maybe at risk for deficient calcium. But also they, the paper lists here that uh, if you are restricting your energy intake in general and or you have had disordered eating, this increases your risk of suboptimal calcium status. Uh, So, and calcium is obviously important for, for bone, uh, for bone health. And uh, if you have a calcium deficiency, then to optimize your bone health, this, uh, this supplementation makes sense. But again, this is something that you should probably check with a blood panel too and, uh, and maybe with a nutritionist or registered dietitian too, to see what is, uh, a, what, what is best in your case to do. So moving on to the next part, and this part is uh, supplements used to provide a practical form of energy and nutrients. So here we're talking about things like sports, drinks, gels, blocks uh, electrolyte replacement protein supplementation etc just things that that give you easy access to to certain nutrients or energy that you may not get enough of otherwise so for example so the ones that are listed here are those that uh, that are supported by the paper but simply the paper thinks that there's a uh, there's good reason to use these types of supplements and sports drinks to supply carbohydrates in particular, but also some sodium and other electrolytes is supported as something that can be used during exercise and immediately post-exercise post, post exercise for rehydration and refueling. Energy energy drinks, so uh, these would be things like, uh, I guess, your Red Bulls and, and the things to the, of that manner to provide carbohydrate but also caffeine and potentially some other uh, other ingredients is uh, supported as an alternative during exercise to getting carbohydrate and caffeine and uh, and it could even be used as a pre-exercise caffeine supplement uh, according to the paper next we have sports gels or similar so they also include things like blocks uh, to in in this category and uh, these are, again, recommended as a way to get in carbohydrates during extended or intense exercise. Then we have electrolyte replacement supplements, so, uh, so drinks that contain mostly electrolytes, not so much carbohydrates, so uh, things like precision hydration, for example, and there are, of course, many other options as well. Uh, these are recommended for rapid rehydration following dehydration during exercise and, and also for replacement of large sodium losses during endurance activities. So in the short, things that we have been talking about at length with Andy Blow in, uh, for example, the recent interview episode 191 that we did the hydration Q&A. Next, we have protein supplementation in the form of powders or ready to drink liquid liquids or even bars. So these are also recommended as uh, post-exercise recovery following key training sessions or events where adaptation requiring protein synthesis is desired. Uh, So And also recommended for achievement of increase in lean mass but this is more so for resistance training and uh, strength and power athletes so not as relevant for endurance athletes but definitely if uh, we go out and do really hard sessions or just really long sessions where protein synthesis will be a key part of our recovery and our adaptation then uh, protein supplementation to get in simple protein uh, quickly is it can be good and it is recommended by this uh, review Next on the list is liquid meal supplements so in the form of powders for example that we mix with water or milk or just ready to drink liquids that and these would contain 15 to 20 percent protein and 50 to 70 percent carbohydrate usually to give that to give an example and these can be recommended to supplement an energy or a diet with with very high energy demand so you need to just just get a lot of calories in and uh, you still get a lot of calories from healthy real food it can also be recommended as a low bulk meal replacement like in terms in specific situations like pre-event and also potentially as post-exercise recovery because you're getting your carbohydrate and protein Uh, so uh, so that's uh, some those are some use cases that are uh, listed here as uh, recommended uses next we have bars so uh, these would uh, in this paper lists the bars as bars that would typically include things like 40 to 50 grams of carbohydrate and 5 to 10 grams of protein usually low in fat and fiber so these are recommended as a potential carbohydrate source during exercise and also as post-exercise recovery particularly when they provide uh, enough protein and the final item on this list so uh, the replacements for nutrients or energy or a practical way sorry a, a way to provide a practical form of energy and nutrients is a protein enhanced food so milk yogurt ice cream cereal bars and other food forms that have added protein uh, so these are listed as or common. the comment here is value added food able to achieve protein target for post-exercise use or to improve protein content of other meals and snacks in an athlete's diet so just to take a quick uh, summary here, what this paper is not recommending is that you should go out and use all of these things and and that you uh, should rely upon them day after day. That's not the idea at all. That's, that there may be a time and a place for one or a few of these things that, that are listed in, uh, in this particular segment of the paper and in the previous and, and following ones as well. It's not even though they talk about a lot of supplements and these ones that I just listed are all things that the paper supports that can be useful. The keyword there is that they they can be useful, but they are not useful if you use them to to eat less real healthy food. That's that's not the idea. That's not what this paper tries to convey. And uh, so you, you can you can go and read the paper if you want to get the full ID. But I'll say that right away that uh, the idea here is to use as little supplements as possible only when there really is a need to use supplements is when they recommend that to use supplements but when there is a need to use supplements and for endurance athletes there sure is during ex- exercise for example we need to get in energy or it's impossible to to stay in a caloric balance uh, so so we have to take gels and stuff with us and we also need to practice that because that's what we'll be using on race day so so there are many reasons that we have to use those But that's not to say that we should then go and use gels and bars and things as our normal afternoon snack or anything like that. That's not the point. So I want to mention that to make sure that that is clear at this point. So let's move on to the next segment, which is uh, supplements that directly improve sports performance. And there are a few that have categorized good to strong evidence of achieving benefits to performance in specific scenarios and for endurance athletes there are two of them those are caffeine and nitrate or i should say for uh, for triathletes i guess because for endurance athletes for very short events like 10 minutes and less there are two more that can be useful and those are beta alanine and sodium bicarbonate But those really have the most benefits at durations of 10 minutes or less, so not really relevant for athletes. And then we have one more supplement which has a lot of benefits for athletes, and that is creatine, but those benefits are mostly on the strength and power side of things. So strength and power athletes may have a lot of use for that, for endurance athletes not so much, so I won't talk much about that. What I will talk about is uh, starting with uh, caffeine, because that's the first one, and that is the most studied one and the one that has the best evidence for endurance athletes. So first of all, to give an overview, caffeine is a stimulant that has well-established benefits for athletic performance across endurance-based situations, but also short-term, supramaximal and or repeated sprint tasks. And the protocol of use for caffeine is to take three to six milligram per kilogram of uh, body weight, 60 minutes before exercise or racing. And during exercise or during racing, you can take lower doses. So less than uh, three milligrams per kilogram as well. So, uh, and that is recommended to be consumed with a carbohydrate source. The performance impact of caffeine it has uh, been shown to reduce Uh, or increase uh, time to exhaustion sorry so uh, longer time to exhaustion and it has improved time trial activities of varying durations from 5 to 150 minutes uh, across uh, numerous exercise modalities including cycling running rowing and others the range of impact there has uh, apparently varied quite a bit because they haven't actually listed it for the time trial activities But it is stated that uh, lower doses of caffeine, so 100 to 300 milligrams consumed during endurance exercise after 15 to 18 minutes of activity may enhance cycling time trial performance by 3 to 7%. So I think that, well, this is true from what I read before in previous studies and reviews as well, that uh, we're probably looking at a sort of like a 2 to 3% or 1 to 4% if we extend that range a little bit benefit and and usually it is a case of more advanced athletes having lesser benefits than than less advanced athletes that's just the way these things tend to go. Finally, it is stated that larger doses of caffeine, more than nine milligram per kilogram body weight, do not appear to increase the performance benefit and are more likely to increase the risk of negative side effects that include nausea, anxiety, insomnia, and restlessness. as alluded to earlier, if you do consume uh, caffeine during activity, then that should be done concurrently with a carbohydrate source as well for improved efficacy and uh, and also it's mentioned here that uh, well, this is goes for any uh, any supplement that you are going to take for racing, for example. You need to practice this in training to find what the optimal timing and and amount is for you specifically. But uh, these things, uh, these uh, inf- pieces of information here. In the review and that i just uh, talked about they do give a good starting point for you so so perhaps you start with something like five milligrams per kilogram of body mass and you start see take that 60 minutes before exercise and uh, actually to give you a bit of an overview uh, for how much uh, caffeine uh, that is that uh, benchmark of three to six uh, milligram per kilogram body weight in a brewed cup of coffee there's on average 95 milligrams of caffeine so that's quite a low dose for somebody at 60 kilos that would be 1.5 milligram per kilogram body weight roughly uh, and in decaf coffee there's two to f- or three milligrams on average and in a shot of espresso there's on average 63 milligrams so that would be one milligram per kilogram body weight for a 60 kilo athlete in a cup of instant coffee, there is uh, somewhere between 65 and 80 milligrams of caffeine, and in a single shot latte, there is between 47 and 75 milligram of caffeine. So, in the only the only example here of uh, a significantly larger range is for the brewed cup of coffee. There, it seems to really depend on uh, on the roast and the bean. So, uh, the range given is large; it's 70 to 200 milligrams. But still, the average is 95 milligrams, which is not a large dose. So really, if you're considering caffeine supplementation, then coffee is not the way to, to get caffeine. You need to go for uh, specific products. And what I use, I have no affiliation with them, but I use Science in Sports Caffeine Shots, And they contain 150 milligrams of caffeine. And I actually looked this up because I wasn't aware exactly how much they contained. And that for me would be, I'm not quite 70 kilograms, but 68 or so. So let's say 70 to make the math a bit easier. So it's 2 point something low uh, milligrams per kilogram body weight. So actually it's still on the very low side of things, which uh, is kind of surprising to me that uh, it uh, you would assume that perhaps it should be a bit higher so I might consider either taking two shots for some b-race to practice that or for for a training session to practice that or to take the one shot but also supplement with some caffeine pill or, or chew or something like that to to see if that has an impact if i get closer to the if i get to that three to six milligram per kilogram body weight range but that was something that was completely new to me since uh, reviewing and checking the the actual amount that i get from caffeine so i hope that you found that useful and uh, i do recommend the science sports shots though for they've worked Seem to work well for me the the taste is okay I haven't had any any GI issues or anything with them so from that perspective they're fine it's just uh, I guess dialing in the amount so maybe actually 300 milligram for me two shots there would be a bit more than four milligram per kilogram body weight so that might be just just right for me so probably that's what I'm going to try next next in the table here is uh, creatine and there's a lot of evidence for creatine. It is great, but, and this is a big but, this is for power and strength athletes mostly. I've read through all of this in uh, in the paper and uh, it's, well, I, obviously I read the entire paper uh, for doing this episode, uh, but just really carefully and trying to see if there is a use case for endurance athletes and I just can't see it. So I'm going to skip over creatine. If you are a strength athlete as well as an endurance athlete and you're interested in in that bigger gains, then definitely look into creatine more and give it a shot. It's It should be worth it. It's one of those few supplements that, that do work and one of those that have a lot of uh, proven evidence-based benefits to it, but it's just not for endurance athletes. Uh, so we move on to nitrate and that's something that we talked about recently with uh, Professor Andy Jones in my interview with him and nitrate is something that is uh, found in for example beetroot Uh, so and this has been in recent years in the recent decades or so it has become more and more research and we're starting to see the evidence pile up that this can really be uh, be something that is helpful and beneficial for endurance performance both from the long end of things to the short and sharp end of things so the protocol here is to uh, to supplement with uh, 310 to 560 milligrams. They are quite specific here. Uh, two to three hours before activity and also potentially prolonged periods. So longer than three days of supplementation appear beneficial to performance. And uh, especially in highly trained athletes where performance gains from nitrate supplementation appear harder to obtain. That is what this research paper writes and in terms of the impact supplementation with nitrate has been associated with improvements of 4 to 25% in exercise time to exhaustion you should be aware that time to exhaustion is not as good and as uh, rigorous a test as a pure time trial time trial performance assessments are the gold standard compared to time to exhaustion there's a lot of variability and psychological factors that go into a time to exhaustion test rather than a time trial test so so the 4 to 25% that does not mean that the performance improvement in general is going to be 4 to 25%. It's just in a specific uh, time to exhaustion test. So when we look at the time trial specific uh, improvements, we see the range of 1% to 3% mentioned, which makes a lot more sense. And uh, so these have been measured in pure time trial situations. And referring back to to Andy Jones, he he was a bit conservative. And of course, there's an individual variation, but he talked about... uh, performance benefits of of one percent typically and uh, obviously he works with a lot of elite athletes so at that end of the spectrum the the performance benefits might be quite a bit smaller than for less well-trained athletes so uh, so yeah even one percent is a big 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 thing for for elite athletes but for somebody who's less well-trained the one to three percent improvement seems to be be quite realistic so so nitrate is deemed a good supplement, a supplement that is uh, has evidence uh, to work for endurance performance. Uh, with regard to side effects, there appear to be a few of them uh, that uh, cause may cause some limitations. And for example, some athletes are susceptible to GI upset based on nitrate supplementation. So definitely test this in training before you are actually going to try to do this in racing. Also, there, as with caffeine, appears to be an upper limit to the benefits of consumption. More is not always better. Uh, So uh, when you go from 500 milligrams to 1000 milligrams, it doesn't improve performance any more than that. And uh, finally, the final limitation is that performance gain appear harder to obtain in highly trained athletes. But again, anecdotally, referring back to the Andy Jones interview, he said that Eliud Kipchoge has been using beetroot juice for for most of his marathons for the last few years and swears by it he he really likes it so uh, that's uh, that's what uh, the evidence says and some comments from me Uh, if you are going to supplement with nitrate make sure that you are actually getting nitrate in the right amount and just buying beetroot juice from the grocery store unfortunately is not going to cut it because the variation in nitrate content is so massive What it says on the label is not necessarily what you get. And there's a paper called that I linked to in the show notes as well, which is called What's in Your Beet Juice? Nitrate and nitrite content of beet juice products marketed to athletes. And even in specific products that are marketed to athletes, the variation is massive. And from the top of my head, I think that actually only three out of 24 products, something like that had an adequate amount of uh, of nitrate to really be beneficial to be to to meet the minimum demands for how much nitrate you need for it to be beneficial uh, as per our current knowledge of how much nitrate is actually needed so so that's worth taking into account really check the products carefully and make sure that they are quality assured to to contain the amount of nitrate they're marketed to contain and one such product that we talked about with Andy Jones as well is called Beat It. And that's the one that I use. It contains 400 milligrams per shot of nitrate, which is right in that sweet spot of what you what you need. So, And that is all quality controlled. That's what I do. Again, no affiliation. I just like the product. It seems to work, work well for me. So, so that's what I use. And uh, I would recommend others to use that. Of course, there are al- alternatives. So you can check them out but you should be aware that there is this risk if you're buying something that is not quality assured that you're not at all getting what you are what you think that you're getting all right so next on the list of uh, supplements that have evidence going for them in terms of direct performance ale- performance benefits is beta alanine and the overview here of beta alanine says that it augments intracellular buffering capacity having potential beneficial effects on sustained high intensity exercise performance so uh, i won't go into much detail here because for triathlon purposes uh, this uh, beta alanine doesn't seem that beneficial because it has beneficial effects for uh, durations lasting up to 10 minutes so 30 seconds to 10 minutes is where you will see benefits and uh, i know that we we might have some uh, some cyclists or runners or swimmers listening that have events that last for that amount of time and for you this might be something well worth looking into so just uh, go and go and look at the the study and uh, the table table number three i think yes table three and and see what if beta alanine might be for you but for the triathletes uh, I, I would not recommend beta alanine because it's just been shown beneficial for those short duration events. So 10 minutes or less. There is the argument that uh, some of you may may think about and uh, I've heard before and I've thought about before that, well, but what if you do like really high intensity exercise and you supplement for that exercise and you can do slightly better in, in training and then that might lead to better adaptations. I just don't think that that's something that has ever been proven to work so i mean you could just as well use caffeine in that case before every single workout like proper caffeine supplementation and uh, get the effects of of that because that would also work for for that type of of short duration effort but using all the supplements in the world i mean they they're probably not going to be additive so you're not going to get one percent plus one percent plus one percent it's just going to be one plus one plus one equals one or one and a half probably so so i just don't think i think that people in the real world like the best athletes with the best coaches and uh, and scientists behind them they would be using it already in a triathlon context and we would know about it if uh, if there was something that that was potentially beneficial which is why i'm going to skip over beta alanine alanine and for the exact same reason shorter durations that where there are beneficial uh, impacts that's why i'm going to skip over sodium bicarbonate as well because the same sort of thing applies here it has been shown to have a positive impact on performance For durations lasting between 60 seconds to 10 minutes, Uh, and it's similar to beta-alanine in that it it increases buffering capacity, but in this case, it is extracellular buffering capacity rather than intracellular cellular buffering capacity. I am getting having difficulty speaking, or maybe the words are just a bit too hard for me. Either way, if you are somebody who races at these short distances or short durations then beta-alanine or sodium bicarbonate or both might be worth looking into for sure. For triathletes, I don't think so. Finally, let's move on to section number four, which is supplements that improve performance indirectly. And there are a lot of them, or that actually there are a lot of them that a lot of supplements that claim to enhance performance indirectly by supporting the athlete's health or body composition or ability to train hard and recover quickly, uh, adapt better, avoid or recover from injury, and tolerate pain or soreness. And uh, reviews of this have noted that there is a low quality of many of the studies on on these kinds of supplements that are claimed to support immunity, for example. Uh, And these problems are things like small sample sizes, poor controls, and unclear procedures for randomization so uh, there are not that many supplements that actually have been shown to to be beneficial indirectly and these are in the paper that you have the link to in table four so you can go and check them out table four and table five i believe and uh table six also yes table four through table six and if we start at table four this is where we have uh, commonly promoted immune supportive supplements and uh The the review here says that the most promising candidates to assist in the prevention or treatment of of immune function function and in particular upper respiratory symptoms are vitamin D and probiotics. Those two, vitamin D and probiotics. Vitamin C may be beneficial during periods of heavy exertion for preventive reasons and zinc may be beneficial at the onset of symptoms but uh, that's basically it the only ones that have strong evidence are vitamin d and probiotics probiotics also have the additional benefit of potentially reducing the incidence of traveler's diarrhea and gastrointestinal infection so that's uh, an upside to that as well so if we just go through this table as well vitamin d the evidence for e- efficacy of vitamin d is moderate and uh, this is also true for probiotics and, uh, and the, evident, the the outcome measure here is uh, preventing or treating upper respiratory symptoms. That is uh, what has been most commonly studied when it comes to immune function. Then we have vitamin C which has moderate support for preventing upper respiratory symptoms but no support for actually treating it. So once you have it then uh, it doesn't help too. To consume vitamin c supplements and uh, we also have zinc next which has no support for actually preventing upper respiratory symptoms but it has moderate support for treating upper respiratory symptoms if you start the consumption within less than 24 hours after the onset of those symptoms then we have a long list of of things that have uh, less have low support so these would be things like bovine colostrum poly polyphenols uh, and then we have go down even further to limited support we have glutamine caffeine uh, echinacea, e- e- echinacea i don't know how to pronounce that omega-3 vitamin e uh, vitamin e we go down from limited support to no support and also on no support we have beta glucans so uh, that's the list and if we move on to the next category which is supplements that are supposed to assist an athlete to train harder recover more quickly and prevent injury uh, or accelerate return from injury so uh, these are in table five in the paper if you are reading that and here we have a number of supplements listed and uh, there's quite a lot of text regarding their evidence for efficacy for each of them so uh, Without going too deep, the the ones that look like they have the most positive effects in terms of what we do as endurance athletes are vitamin D and certain anti-inflammatory supplements, although that comes with uh, with an asterisk as well. First, vitamin D has uh, pretty good evidence for actually enhanced adaptive response to exercise and uh, to stressful exercise, I should sell, say. And additionally, vitamin D status is uh, related to the risk of stress fracture. So if you are deficient, then you may have greater risk of stress fracture. So vitamin D supplementation may help reduce that risk, which is a good thing. Next, anti-inflammatories, if we move on to them. So for example, a common one, which is quite in vogue right now, is uh, curcumin, which can be found in, in turmeric. Uh, that one has uh, some evidence going for it in uh, decreasing inflammation and uh, indirect markers of uh, muscle damage. Another supplement that has uh, proven anti-inflammatory benefits is uh, tart cherry juice. And uh, But the thing here to keep in mind is that anti-inflammatory effects may be beneficial, uh, but uh, it really depends on the context. So it may also blunt the adaptive response to exercise, especially if you Uh, if you consume anti-inflammatories immediately after training Uh, so maybe it's better to wait a while and this is a topic that we definitely should perhaps go deeper into in another episode uh, because i haven't really done a deep enough research to be able to say specifically what the state of the art of the research is right now maybe i need somebody else to talk about that or would prefer that because it would take a long time to to do that symphysis myself Uh, either way i we just need to make sure that we know that anti anti anti-inflammatories aren't the be all end all and uh, and it's not necessarily something that's going to make a massive difference it's one thing to see that we have less inflammatory markers but is that actually a good thing well that's very difficult to say so uh For personally i don't use any anti-inflammatory supplements and and after reading this review i'm not tempted to start either Uh, i'm tempted to keep using vitamin d based on what i just said that it also reduces the risk of stress fractures and enhances the adaptive response to exercise for anti-inflammatories not so much i'm uh, really not going to to look into that anymore just or to start using that uh, then there are some other supplements listed here as well, like creatine again for various reasons. But none of the reasons here for which it may be uh, may be effective in terms of indirect performance benefits are really that relevant for endurance athletes. So I'm not going to go into that. And the same sort of thing applies to beta hydroxy beta methyl butyrate, so HMB. That's a mouthful. Uh, the benefits there are indirect and they seem potentially pretty promising but for strength and power athletes more so than endurance athletes and finally we have uh, omega-3 supplements are listed here because they have some some evidence of certain indirect benefits for certain athletes but again none of these things that are listed here in my opinion are really that relevant for uh, endurance athletes so we'll skip over that one as well uh, which uh so it comes down to in this category, we had, uh, we had vitamin D and anti-inflammatory supplements potentially with, with the asterisk there. And then the final table, final category of supplements here. And again, we're still on the indirect performance benefits, but this is divided into, into a few different categories here. So these supplements are to promote and assist uh, gain in lean muscle mass or loss of body fat mass. And, uh, and here we have protein, which is uh, consistently being found as uh, something that can increase lean muscle mass. And for some triathletes and endurance athletes, this may be a real thing that you actually need to work on. You, you may need, for example, a lot of runners coming from a running background, they're really, really lean. They may need to bulk up a little bit and protein can be massive for uh, a massive benefit for that too, to just make sure that you get in enough protein. Uh, but of course uh, that needs to combine with the right training so some resistance training and uh, and not letting all the endurance training uh, tear down or rip apart the the potential effects of of the muscle gains that you're looking for and uh, leucine is listed there but does not really have any any efficacy uh, evidence for it that that are really reliable so far so it's only protein when it comes to uh, to lean muscle mass gain and when it comes to losing fat mass, none of the things listed here, and there are a lot of them other than protein seem to have an effect. So protein uh, can have a small but significant effect on, uh, on losing fat mass when, when you supplement with that and promoting lean mass retention, especially. But all the other things listed here, for example, some things that you might recognize, well, we have omega-3s again, and we have green tea is also here. And, uh, none of these supplements that are listed here, a long, long list here, have uh, any, anything other than a, maybe a trivial effect, but it says no effect or small trivial effect across the board. So I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't really even uh, bother listing them. that's it those are the supplements so so if we sum up here on the direct benefits for endurance athletes specifically we had and the triathletes specifically so longer than 10 minutes caffeine and nitrate for indirect benefits for keeping healthy mainly vitamin d and probiotics to reduce the risk of upper respiratory symptoms Uh, for keeping healthy in terms of injuries so reducing the risk of stress, stress fractures we have vitamin D and also uh, obviously vitamin D still for the upper respiratory symptoms. And uh, we also potentially have uh, anti-inflammatory supplements to recover better, but that's with an asterisk. And if you want to improve your uh, lean muscle mass, increase your lean muscle mass and potentially reduce fat mass, protein is a good one. In the earlier categories, we had uh, in terms of uh, preventing or treating nutrient deficiencies, some uh, some supplements that may be worth taking if you actually have a proven deficiency are vitamin D, iron, and calcium. And then we had a large number of things that are recommended to provide a practical form of energy and nutrients when needed. So, when you're training, for example, or finishing a training session to get some energy in quickly, all these sports nutrition products like sports drinks, gels, blocks, proteins, sports bars, etc. So that's the, the rundown of uh, what supplements are recommended. Just quickly going into a little bit of a discussion on adverse effects. So uh, the review paper, they do say that uh, the use of supplements may cause adverse effects and uh, the safety and composition of the, of the product may not be optimal. And also the patterns of use by athletes may be inappropriate and such poor practices by athletes includes things like indiscriminate mixing and matching of many products without regard to total dosage of some ingredients or problematic interactions between ingredients. Even commonly used products may have negative side effects, especially when used outside the optimal control. So that's important to keep in mind that the more you put in your mug of, of pills, the, the more the risk becomes that you are... Getting an inappropriate dose of some particular element or that the mixing and matching of, uh, of these may cause problematic interactions. Also keep in mind that supplements are regulated like food ingredients and food and uh, not as medicals or, or pharmaceuticals. So uh, the, yeah, the regulations are much, much, much less stringent and uh, naturally, but this means that there is no requirement really to prove prove the claim benefits and no requirement to show safety uh, with acute or chronic administration there is uh, no no very strict quality assurance requirements and liberal labeling may be uh, may be used so keep these things in mind Uh, the fda have actually recently so that's the food and drug administration in uh, in the united states they have recently recalled a supplement products that contained excessive doses of vitamin A, D, B6, and selenium, because of potentially toxic levels of these components, and uh, and in the USA in 2015, approximately 23,000 emergency department visits annually were reported to be associated with dietary supplement use that's not necessarily big or small but that's just to say that that there's there is a certain risk associated with supplements as well just as there is with food as well but something that is less processed food that is less processed will have less risk than something that is more processed and supplements are (laughs) very processed so so do consider that then we have the big topic of uh, anti-doping rule violations and this is relevant for all age groupers at least if you are a faster age grouper, but but also for in particular for professional athletes listening here uh, because many athletes consider supplements to be kind of safe also there can be some discrepancies between the lists of uh, prohibited substances on the vada website and uh, and what they're called on supplement labels so it may be difficult to recognize them on the product label if there is a prohibited substance in a particular supplement. And the most concerning thing probably is that there is a, there is a real, real risk that a supplement uh, may contain a prohibited substance as an undeclared ingredient or a contaminant. And I'll link to a study or a survey, which is uh, from Australia, and uh, it is uh, the australian supplement survey by and is published on on the informed uh, website and this uh, survey or study reported that 15 percent of more than 600 supplement products acquired from around the world contained undeclared banned substances and that is very very concerning so do be careful and these banned substances have been found even in very common supplements like vitamin c multivitamins and and minerals that is rarer for sure compared to something like a pre-workout whatever but 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 keep that in mind that uh, even those seemingly safe supplements can potentially be risky and there are efforts being made to address the, pro- the problems, and they include the use of third-party auditing activities to identify products that athletes may consider to be at low risk of containing prohibited substances. there These are no absolute guarantee, but it's the best we best we have, and they definitely help us manage risks. Uh, so uh, we do need to carefully consider this risk as well when it comes to selecting uh, to se- selecting supplements and and weigh the possible benefits of a supplement with the risk of it being contaminated and uh, us having a doping offense which might be career ending Uh, that would not be fun at all and one of these uh, authorities that uh, that do third-party auditing and testing is informed sport they're also linked to that's a global quality assurance program for sports nutrition products and this program certifies not just a, pro, a product once, but actually every batch of it and the raw materials used in it. So, so that is a great program. And uh, I have made sure that uh, the supplements that I use are, are all on the Informed sport list of uh, trusted brands. So just to give you a list of which ones they are, they are science in sport for things like gels and sports drink and uh, caffeine shots precision hydration for electrolyte products, beat it for nitrate, and uh, I use bulk powders for protein, whey protein. So, and all of those are in the Informed Sport quality assurance program. So that keeps uh, my risk down at least. And and I feel I sleep better at night because of it. And I definitely recommend that you check whether the brands that you use are on that list. And if not, uh, consider if it might be worth doing, because the last thing that you want to have happen is that uh, and this happens to age groupers as well as professionals that they uh, have a doping test in ironman branded events for example and actually get caught for doping and that is not that is not something that that we would like for any anybody to happen so uh, that's it i guess uh, some final thoughts that uh, i just want to list here using supplements should not be compensating for a poor diet or poor nutritional choices uh, that's uh, pretty obvious but i want to point that out and uh, and also another thing and this is when i read asker jokendrup's commentary of this review on his website uh, he states that in general use of supplements by young athletes is discouraged except when full evaluation of nutritional status suggests that it is warranted so that's quite important to keep in mind that uh, for young athletes it's probably not something that we want to do to to start to to give them a lot of supplements, but just wait, wait with that until they're older. I do agree with that, that, that it makes sense. So I hope that you enjoyed this. It's, uh, of course, uh, quite a technical episode with a lot of information. So, as usual, you will find the show notes on thatdreflonshow.com. All the links and the resources mentioned will be there. And also, as a reminder, you can find all past nutrition related podcasts by clicking more in the menu on scientificdreflonshow.com and going to popular topics and nutrition. On Thursday, we have a and a as usual. And then in next Monday's episode, we flip the mic and I get interviewed on this podcast by Michael Lieberson and Andrew Buckroll from their new Endurance Innovation podcast. So actually, this interview has been released already on the Endurance Innovation podcast, but uh, I got permission to share it here on this podcast. And I think it will be very, uh, very fun for you to to hear some more insights into into that that triathlon show because that's a lot what we talk about we talk about this particular podcast and and some of some of the things that goes into it and and how it came about and all these sorts of things so a bit of a different episode but hopefully you will enjoy it And I also want to remind you of last Monday's interview, if you haven't already listened to it, because I think it was a really good one. And it was an introduction to our newest scientific triathlon coach, Lachie Kirin. So go and check it out. And if you are interested in coaching, Lachie has slots available. So send us an email or a message and we'll set up a chat and uh, and you can see if it's for you. Finally, big thanks to our sponsors, Roka, that you can find on roca.com and get 20% off your entire order with the promo code TTS all caps. And thank you to Precision Hydration that you can find on PrecisionHydration.com. Take their free online sweat test to get your personalized hydration strategy and use the promo code Show 20 to get 20% off your entire order uh, valid through the month of August. Or if you have never tried Precision Hydration before, use the promo code Show all on word, all caps, to get your first box or tube for free. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving craft.